Welcome to the Grace Church Conversations podcast, a weekly resource to help you apply Sunday to Monday. I'm Jared. And I'm Craig. And we've got someone else here. Good old-fashioned Rob Tombrella. Hey, guys. Hey, man. Does Glad anyone ever see you and say, like, under my Tombrella, Ella, Ella? Yes, actually. Ella. Really? Well, only one guy. But, I mean, I thought yeah, of that. you, Jared. <laughs> it's every Sunday. <laughs> it's You're the second person that's done <laughs> that, but yeah. I mean, I'm not saying it's a good it's a good joke, but it is a joke. It works. Yeah, it qualifies as a joke, so. Yeah. Okay, that's good. How are you? I'm good, man. Thanks for joining us. It's really special I'm of you. Excited to be here. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for coming, Super. Rob. Now, Craig, you, you had a little bit of ice cream trivia, and you threw it at us at the last minute, and I just didn't know how to process it. Well, we're about to start, and we have these like windscreens on the mics mm-hmm. uh, that have an O with a line through it. And you said, I said, why is that? And you said, because they <clears throat> they want it to look Swedish. Yeah. Right? I mean, maybe you probably, it is. You I don't probably know. bought the windscreen at Ikea, didn't you? <laughs> it's like something out of <laughs> their Ikea. Their whole, uh, everything. Their, their sound. Yeah, area. Every, everything <laughs> there is. is uh, so anyway, so then I just shared with these gentlemen that Hagen Das is a made-up name. And there was an instant uh, moment of shock. You guys, you couldn't believe that, could you? There was, there was a hush across the room. Because you thought it meant something. I thought, it, I thought there was meaning there. Yes. You know? and, so I, and so Rob challenged me and said, how do you know that? And I said, well, because someone told me. <laughs> and uh, then Who's I, your source? Well, I don't remember. But then I Googled it, and it is, in fact, true that uh, Ruben and Rose Mattis uh, from Brooklyn Heights, New York, they're the founders. No of, way. Uh, yeah, yeah, It's yeah. not even German? No. And so they made it up because... Because they wanted it to sound, they wanted something that sounded Danish. Oh, yeah, Danish. fascinating! Yeah, so it means nothing. It's just it a means nothing. It's just a ma- it's a made up name. You know that sounds really deceitful. Yeah, and all this it bothers time, me. I, yeah, all this time you thought it meant oh, over you know somewhere. Well, it in obviously Europe, it's worked. Meaningful. I it mean, worked. who doesn't like Hagen Dazs? And on top of it, okay, so he, I've got a story about Hagen Dazs. Okay. Uh, Sarah and I honeymooned in West Palm Beach, Florida. Love that. And we took two days out of that week to go down to the Florida Keys, and it was beautiful, beautiful water. Um, saw some wildlife. Saw some wild iguanas, and that was amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Real life iguanas. They were cool. They were friendly. I mean, they gave us directions. It was great. Aren't um, all iguanas wild, or they're? I guess not. They seem pretty wild. I guess you can get them at a pet store. There's. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. I. I wonder if you're, I don't think you'd you be allowed train. to capture them. Yeah. You train tra- them. To, train an iguana. Yeah. To give directions. To anyway. Them. Yeah. I, I interrupt you. <laughs> so you're on your honeymoon and this Anyways, is about Hagen Dazs. Yeah. Yeah. So we go down uh, to uh, Key West and we spend the night. It's, it's a beautiful place, a really good dinner. And uh, we wake up and there's like wild chickens and we go to like the oldest house in, in, you know, Key West. It was really cool. Anyway. So. In one shopping area, there's a Hagen Dazs ice cream shop, and we, so we go in. It's just like, it oh my nothing. goodness! Stop saying that. <laughs> it means something to me. Okay, go ahead. Yes, indeed. <laughs> okay, so we go in there. We're thinking this is going to be the greatest ice cream ever. So we just order like a scoop each uh, on an ice cream cone. Guess how much it was? Uh, boy, I don't know. It was. I'm pretty sure, based on my memory, and this was almost seven years ago. Yes, it was seventeen dollars for two scoops. Wow. So. I had one scoop of ice cream on my cone, and she had one scoop of, or in our bowl. I don't remember what it was, yeah. but one scoop each. But essentially, eight fifty a pop. Yeah, exactly. For a single scoop. Yes, and yeah. I mean, it's like I'm not going to deny my brand new bride no, her no, ice you don't cream. Wanna, you yeah, know. sure. Well, nor myself. But I mean, you were no. checking those yeah, prices, right? You yeah, said, you remembered. Uh, you remembered. Yeah, to yeah. Get seven years later, I remember Hagen Dazs. <laughs> yeah, it better be worth it. And now to find out seven years nothing. later that it means nothing. Yes, it means nothing. <laughs> Man, wow. there's a lot of offense here in my heart. Yeah, it's upsetting. 
You know, and part I'm of me wonders. wanting Hagen Dazs ice cream now. <laughs> Are you? I am. I'm kind of wanting to go to Ikea. <laughs> we need to go get some. You ice know, cream it makes this. you wonder: Can God do any good in the wickedness of of those Hagen Dazs founders to deceive people into buying their ice cream? Is God able? in his sovereignty to be able to this use This is a transition that. into something. <laughs> Habakkuk has anything to say yeah, exactly. about Oh, man, yeah. Agadis. Okay, uh, yeah, you, you caught me. Okay, so yeah, uh, we are going to do kind of a cool two-parter uh, conversations podcast this week. So for our first part, we're going to discuss uh, kind of an ongoing theme that we're seeing in the book of Habakkuk is that, that God is raising up the Chaldeans, an evil, wicked nation, to judge Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know that that's ultimately going to lead to their exile and whatnot and, uh, and Babylon. And, um, and so it naturally, there's a lot of questions of, okay, God cannot sin. God is righteous. God is just, and he loves his people. Uh, how is it that he can use the sin, uh, of the Chaldeans, the evil of the Chaldeans, these wicked people who see their strength as their God, not, not the true God as their God. How can God, uh, both be good, but also use, uh, wicked people to accomplish his his will and and so one of the first questions we got this week was this: Can you help us understand the nuance between God not being the author of sin, yet using it and even raising people up and hardening their hearts in which they turn and do evil? Yeah, that's a great question, isn't it? And yeah. I love the fact they use the word nuance. I'm, I'm a big fan of nuance. Well, that's a great word all around. Yeah, so, it is, yeah. and so. There's well, a lot of nuance to that question. Yeah, it's a it's a really good point, and I, you know, ultimately, I think what we have to say is there are two two big ideas uh, regarding this in Scripture that are both true that are very difficult for us to reconcile in our you know puny brains. Um, but one is that God is sovereign; that He con- controls all things. Um, so that's throughout Scripture. But yeah. it's it's equally true that people make very real choices. So that that's a that's a truth as well, um, and that God, uh, th- there people are responsible for those choices. Right. And yet God, as the questioner asks, can use those uh, use those choices and use the. Um, free decisions of individuals for his purposes. So he is free and uh, people, depending on how you define free, uh, are, can act as well, obviously, are making very real choices, that's for yeah. sure. Sometimes this is talked about as like the primary cause, <clears throat> that God is primary cause and we are secondary. Um, sometimes it's viewed that way. But but what, however you want to talk about it, we have to maintain that God is sovereign and that people make real choices that they are responsible for, um, and sometimes theologians call this the idea. This idea, uh, uh, confluence—that's one word mm. that's used, which means you know literally flow together. So, yeah. human choice and God's will flow together, or uh, concurrence is another term that's used. But it just means that they they go together, and we want to affirm both. So here's an example. You brought this up last week, Jared, but we didn't get to it. I mean, you you told me you wanted to talk about this, but we didn't get to it. Um, and that's the idea of, uh, of Joseph. Yeah. It's a great example, right? Yeah, so at the end, sure. end of Genesis, uh, Joseph's brothers have acted terribly to him. Right, thrown, you know, oh, yeah. thrown him down a well, sold him into slavery, etc. And in chapter 37, it says that they're jealous of him. It says they hated him. Chapter 37 said they wanted to kill him. Mm. And yet... At the end of the story, and we won't tell the whole story, but at the end of the story, Joseph has that really wonderful line in uh, Genesis 50, 20, where he says, As for you to his brothers, all that he, they had done to him, you meant evil against me, 
but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Mm. So that's working together. So we have to ask, where did his brothers, did God put the desire in them somehow create in them evil or did, did were they uh, on their own legitimately jealous and did mm. they want to do harm to their brother? I think the answer is yes. Yeah. But did God want Joseph ultimately was God's will ultimately that he'd be sold into slavery and mm -hmm. you know all that went on with uh, Potiphar and with um, you, um, with Pharaoh and all that happened in the story. The answer is yes, and yeah. so they they came together and Joseph really defines it. You, you talked about that some last week off the air. Yeah, for sure. I mean, one of the things that strikes me in that passage is is kind of in my own. Um, you know, in my own thoughts towards God, towards his sovereignty, towards his sovereign plan, we all want to say, you know, the Lord can use all things for the good of his people. Um, but I think the temptation is to think that that a sinful person sins and then God looks at that situation and says, oh, well, now I need to act and find yeah. a good thing out of this. But I think one of the key things in that passage, and especially in uh, Joseph's words in Genesis 50, 20, where he's saying, hey, you meant one thing, but God meant another thing. Mm -hmm. You know, you meant evil, but God God meant good out mm -hmm. of it. Um, there's, there's that that concurrency of intention, you know, Joseph's brothers meant one thing, but ultimately God, God meant good from right. those same things. You know, it wasn't that God meant something different, but Joseph's right. brothers got their way. It was more that Joseph's brothers, uh, they committed real evil. They committed real sin right. that was in their hearts. Yet God at the same time meant those things for good. And I think that's a really cool hope for us in, in approaching a difficult topic like this of saying, you know, in our limited understanding, in our limited intellect, it's hard for us to understand how uh, two things can be true at the same time. Right. Uh, that they seem to, it, it almost feels like they contradict one another, but that's not the case. And that's, you know, ultimately we have freedom here to, to say, you know, the, the scripture is telling us one thing about this. Let's submit to that and see what it says. Because, mm -hmm. um, you know, we wouldn't think, normally we probably wouldn't think what uh, Joseph is saying here. We wouldn't right. think along those lines. And I think it's really helpful for us as yeah. we're walking to this uh, kind yeah. of topic. I mean, Rob, what do you think about that? Well, it's a big topic uh, <laughs> and I need to think more on it. But I think that the, uh, <laughs> the you always make me laugh, Jared. <laughs> Your laugh makes me laugh more than anything. Um, like, there's always this temptation gift. to, <laughs> it is a gift. There's always a temptation to limit, I mean, mm -hmm. it, it limit the sovereignty of God in order right. to elevate the love of God. And yeah. th this kind of, uh, not only is it unscriptural, but it just kind of communicates our frailty, our, our, our humanity when we do that. Because right. like you said earlier, we, we can't fathom two things coexisting at the exact same time, that mm -hmm. God is all the way truly sovereign and at the same time, all the way truly loving in whom there is no darkness mm -hmm. at all. The no, scripture says good. at all. So there is no darkness at all. We can't impugn any evil to him. And, yeah. uh, and he uses uh, evil for his, for his good, for his loving uh, purposes. And so God is all, all the time loving and all the time good. And, and all the time sovereign at the same yeah. time, but it's that's right. Yeah, I think that's really helpful too because I think our temptation is to find a mysterious place in Scripture, a mysterious doctrine, something like this that we don't fully understand, and we forget the places that we do fully understand in Scripture, right. like that. We we know what the character of God is, but right. but you know, I think sometimes we're tempted to ignore those parts because when it comes down to it, you know, when God's acting out His plan, when it comes down to it, it's not what we would have done. Yeah, you know. Right. Um, but I think that's helpful to steer us 
you know, Rob, what you were doing, steering us towards the character of God and knowing for sure, we know that God is good. We know that there is no darkness in him. We know that he cannot sin. Um, I think that's a really helpful place to be uh, in approaching this topic. Yeah, and I think we have to be able to make, we, there's not, there's a few other passages <clears throat> Maybe I'll share a couple of other passages. There's a few other passages in the scripture that do this exact same thing that Genesis 50, 20 does. But usually it's one or the other. Mm. Usually you read a passage about man's evil and responsibility. Yeah. Or you read a passage about God's sovereignty. Right. And I, we there, we can feel the tension to say, yeah, but it doesn't mean, you know, to, to kind of explain and build all the fences. But mm. we just have to let it stand. God truly is reigning and is uh, accomplishing all things for his will. He, you know, um, and yet man is responsible. So I think there's, uh, I think the big question is that people often can ask is, well, if God is, if it's God's will, then how am I responsible? You know, right. how, how is God going to judge me if he's causing everything to happen? Yeah. Yep. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the, or here's an interesting verse, uh, Luke twenty two twenty two, which is, um, a statement about uh, Jesus has just commented about how he'll be betrayed by Judas, mm. and they're at the they're at the Last Supper, and it says the Son of Man, uh, for the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And then it says in the disciples, and they all began to question one another, which of them could be. Could it be who was going to do this? You know, you can hear just the kind of mumbling. Is it you? Is yeah, it? yeah, yeah. But it's interesting. He's saying Jesus will be betrayed. This was determined by God ahead of time. This mm. is determined. This is the Lord's will that he be betrayed. But whoa, that's a statement of judgment. But judgment is coming to the person who does it. Yeah. And I think we have to infer from that Judas acted freely. He wanted to. He wanted that money. Yeah. Right. He wanted to sell Jesus out for money. And yet God wanted Jesus to be sold out for money. Mm -hmm. And they both desired this. So it's another place where they happen together. And mm -hmm. so how is Ju Judas responsible? Because he acted freely. Well, how did he act freely if God wanted it to happen, caused it to happen? Because God acted freely as well. And there, there's just <laughs> a little bit of a sense of mystery there, I think. Yeah. Well, I think mystery is a key word because I, I, I think we all, I mean, to deal with mystery means this is, we're we're stepping into something we don't fully understand. And are right. we comfortable with that? It really is an expression of faith to be able to lean back and say, you know what, on this topic, I, you know, I'm, I'm called by God to use my mind and to love God with all of my mind and to exercise every re resource I have. But mm -hmm. there comes a place where I have to stop and go, wow, I don't understand. This is very, yeah. this is very mysterious yeah. and I don't know. And I have to just, just trust uh, what scripture says is true and, and not, not, uh, not try to, um, define it by my understanding. Cause when we do that, then we start slipping into something that is eventually leads us into heresy. Eventually leads, yeah. us, yeah. leads us away from the character of God. Yeah. Does true. this come up in alpha, Rob? Is this one of the, is uh, the sovereignty of God? I can't remember the curriculum if this is, if this is dealt with at all. Cause it could be, it could be a question people raise. Yeah, it uh, it always comes up, but mostly not from people who are just uh, curious about Christianity as as much as people who are kind of new to the faith. They've started okay. to read their Bible and then and then the question comes up, what about free will and uh, yeah, yeah. am I free? Am I, I, I chose Christ, but yeah. uh, but then I read where he chose me and yeah, how does yeah. that whole thing work? And then, so then we're talking about, and, and sometimes it comes across as like, this is a, 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 I've never thought of this before. This yeah. is like a, and, and it's an opportunity to say, well, actually that is an age old <laughs> 
a question that has boggled minds for centuries. Right. Um, but it's you find it to be at least in our experience here of Alpha less of a pushback of the of the of the skeptic or inquirer and more of a little bit of an intramural discussion among Correct. Christians. How do we land on this? Yeah, in my experience, mm. yes, yeah. Yeah, sure, yep. it's interesting. Well, I, I think the, the the questions are really important to consider too. I mean, um, there's definitely different aspects to this to this issue. I mean, we got another question like this one. It, it, it said uh, this. Um, Uh, speaking to you, Pastor Craig, your sermon this morning, you spoke of where the Bible says, quote, our God is in the heavens. He does what pleases him. My questions are one, does God find pleasure in our suffering? Is God a a sadistic God? And two, if so, why would we want to serve a God like that? One that finds pleasure in our suffering, one that enjoys the death, diseases, rape, et cetera. So it's a very honest question. I mean, I, I, I think it's a very real question for sure. Yeah, that is a very good, a very good question. And, uh, uh, I just turned to the passage that the person asked about. Um, that that was a, I kind of made a flippant comment where I would just, I, I didn't have that as part of my notes or anything prepared that I, that, I, uh, that I recall. But I knew that verse out of Psalm 115 and kind of just used it. And so the person's asking about, hey, when it says our God does, uh, our God is in the heavens, um, he does whatever pleases him, you know, is, is this mean that everything that happens pleases God? Uh, you know, I think the person was sort of asking about that. Why would we serve a God that enjoys suffering, is pleased by the suffering of people? Well, I think I went back to the passage and looked at it. Yeah. And uh, in context, it's very helpful because it, what it says is, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of the steadfast love uh, of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. So first of all, w- the psalmist is saying what glorifies God is his love. Mm. It's his steadfast love. It's his faithfulness. And then it says, why should the nation say, where is your God? So this passage, even though I quoted it without thinking about it, I sort of accidentally, providentially, we could say, uh, the context is the same as Habakkuk. The, yeah. the idea is the nation say, where's your God? And then he says, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Yeah. So the point is God is loving. God is faithful faithful to his people. So the, the people of God are being jeered or challenged by other nations. They're saying, where is your God? He's not helping yeah, you now. Yeah. Where, where is your God rescuing you? And the, the affirmation is God is faithful and yeah. he is going to be faithful and good to us. He does what pleases him. Mm-hmm. And right now it, it appears that it pleases him not to be perhaps like Habakkuk intervening or whatever the case yeah. may be. So I, I think that the point is um, our God is unlike other gods. Other gods Gods are, you know, he goes on to say, their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak. They have ears and don't hear. They have hands but do not feel, etc. Those who make them will become like them, as will all who trust in them. So, oh Israel, trust in the Lord, he says. So this is about, are you going to trust in God or are you going to trust in an idol? Yeah. And the point is really, um, he's making a, a contrast between the truly sovereign God and the imaginary gods of idolatry, like comparing the Chaldean gods with the biblical God in Habakkuk. So um, the reality is, if you trust in idols, then you will be subject to the judgment of God. Yeah. And it's it, this is not a passage where it says God just takes pleasure in people's suffering. It, right. It's well. a statement of God loves to be faithful and show his loving kindness mm-hmm. to his people. But if you choose to not believe and you choose to worship a statue, he's going to tell you 
that that is uh, lifeless and meaningless, but there will be trust in God, but there will be judgment for those who trust in idols. The scripture makes yeah. clear. And so that's really an act of, uh, that's really an act of justice on God's part. So the Bible does reveal that God is glorified by his love in this passage mm-hmm. elsewhere. And this is really more to the heart of the question. He is glorified by justice as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I think we would all agree with that. If, if, if the God of the universe is not just, everything's chaotic. Yes. Just is the same would be true in society. Yeah. If the, if the judges, if civil judges in our society had no standard of righteousness and, you know, enjoyed punishing the righteous and letting the guilty go free, then the reality is we have chaos here as well. Yeah. So, um, a little bit about the context, actually what glorifies God is his loving kindness is Mm -hmm. that passage. That's what that passage is about. Um, but the reality is that he does judge uh, those who reject him and worship idols. And mm-hmm. that justice is something that does bring him glory because without justice, um, you, you wouldn't want to live in that universe. Yeah, that's right. And and I think it's important to remember that, that, that the outworking of God's sovereign decree, his sovereign will, and, and the work he does even in uh, the sinful acts of sinful men, um, it, it's important that it leads to him glorifying himself. And ultimately, it's only that we serve a sovereign God that he his promises to save us can stand, that we can yeah. trust that. I mean, I think of Isaiah 46, I mean, starting in, in verse 8, it says this, remember this and stand firm, recall it to mind, you transgressors, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, Mm -hmm. declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. And then what's his purpose? Well, a few verses later, it says this in verse 13, he says, I bring near my righteousness, it is not far off and my salvation will not delay. Um, it's, it's only a God who's, who's truly free, who's truly sovereign, who can make those kind of promises that we can trust in, I think. I think it's, yes. uh, it brings tremendous hope for us, especially in times of suffering, even in, in times when we can say, you know, honestly, in my situation right now, Lord, I know you're good. I know that you are not sinning against me. And I know ultimately, mm-hmm. even in my pain, your intention is to bless me and to make me like Christ and to bring me to, to final salvation, to complete salvation mm-hmm. on that day in, uh, in heaven with you. And so, um, yeah, I, I just think, you know, if we start from a place of saying, uh, or, or we start from a place of questioning the character of God, um, you know, we're not going to get anywhere productive. But if we start from a place of, of trusting in the Lord and saying, okay, Lord, I know that I don't see clearly, but I know that you see clearly, Yes, you know, I don't know exactly what you're up to, but I know that you're trustworthy. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really helpful place to be, especially when it comes to suffering, especially when it comes to, to suffering that we see either in our lives or around us. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that just even coming from a place of just asking that question when we're suffering is Mm -hmm. uh, the Bible helps us there too because just like we see in Job we see in in Psalms we see we see this uh, the people who have total faith in God Christ on the cross uh, pouring out their complaint pouring out their Mm -hmm. their their angst their anxiety Mm -hmm. their their fear to God and 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 that's an as an expression of faith and even the question uh, about God's character when we suffer. I mean, I'm, I'm reminded of James uh, when he says in verse chapter 1, verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, 
I am being tempted by God. Well, why is that question there? Mm. Because we're, mm-hmm. we're, we easily ask that question whenever we are, or whenever I'm experiencing suffering or when I see something related to the question, the question that was asked, yeah. something horrific in the world is happening. Yeah. And I heard somebody at church say that God is sovereign. Yeah. Mm. How in the yeah. world is God sovereign and that horrific thing is taking place yeah. or my, my individual suffering is taking place. Mm-hmm. And is God delighting in that? Is God, de- is, is God, uh, somehow taking joy in that? And we should, we should, uh, uh, just be reminded like James says, uh, uh, God cannot be tempted with evil mm-hmm. and he himself tempts no one. And then he says, well, where, where does the temptation come from? It comes from the evil desires from ourselves, it comes. Right. It comes from humans are the the actors of evil mm. in the the drama. It, it's not God acting on humans. It's humans acting on their own uh, sinful desires, and uh, and God is God is uh, uh, not tempted by evil, and He's not tempting anyone, and He's He He remains pure and yeah, holy through That's it right. all. Yeah. It's That's certainly right. helpful to to remember kind of a biblical view of man too. Of, right. you know, God yeah. doesn't have to put the sin in us. Right. We, you know, as soon as God takes His hand off of us, right. we go run amok and cause destruction everywhere we go. So even in, I would say almost, um, you know, in some ways, when we see places where there isn't sinful chaos, it, it's a place where God is restraining the sinful yes. heart of man. So yep. I think that can be a helpful aspect too. We got another question that was really interesting, um, kind of an interesting take on the topic. And it was basically this, you know, um, you know, we're told to trust in the Lord. We're, we're told to, to trust in him in the midst of our suffering. And we're, you know, we talk about Jesus uh, suffering on our behalf, dying on the cross for us, taking our sins on himself and paying the penalty for those um, and, and seeing him as someone who relates to our suffering. And this person really honestly just opened up and said, you know, it seems like uh, that's an unfair comparison because right. Jesus being God, he knew what the end of his suffering would be. He <laughs> knew exactly what was coming and when it would end. But for us, <laughs> us, you know, in the middle of our suffering, it, we don't know what the end is going to be. It, it seems like we, we don't know what our path is going to lead to. And it's really easy to feel that, you know, there's no hope coming. Um, and then they just said this, what advice can you give someone who's tempted to walk away from the faith because of their suffering? Yeah, that was a really, really good question. And, um, the illustration of Jesus, they were, I think they were referring because I used that as an example yeah. in the sermon that ultimately he suffered for us. Um, and Jesus did know the outcome of his suffering, uh, and yet uh, his suffering is unspeakable. There's, n- there's never been any suffering to the degree of his suffering because you had someone that was perfectly innocent mm. uh, and des- you know deserved nothing. Uh, to to experience the tremendous um, tremendous suffering that he did, um, and the, the the other thing I would say is that I think that Jesus knew what would what would what would happen for the joy set before him. Right. That that he obviously knew what would happen. That doesn't lessen the suffering. Right. Uh, but I would say that that's the very point of the New Testament that we know what will happen as well. That mm-hmm. if we are going to take the, all the New Testament by faith, if we're going to believe that Jesus is God. If we're going to believe that He died for our sins, if we're going to believe that He rose, then we equally have to believe that we will rise. And so we know the outcome as well yeah. for our lives. We don't know how we're going to get there. And I'm sure Jesus experientially hadn't experienced the suffering He experienced until He did. Um, but we don't know how what's going to happen. Between 
between now and the resurrection, but we do know we'll be resurrected. And yeah. that, that we have to base so much on that because that's why Paul said if the, in 1 Corinthians 15, if there is no resurrection, we are of all people right. most to be pitied. Yes. You shouldn't respect Christians. You should feel sorry for them if yeah. there's no if Jesus is not resurrected. And yeah. in that whole passage, he's talking about our resurrection <laughs> as well, that we will be resurrected. Yeah. So I think that's why in 2 Corinthians 4, we read that on Sunday, that uh, that the the future is supposed to be so real to us from the scripture by the Holy Spirit making it real to us ultimately that um, that we uh, that in that day Paul says in that day we'll look back and say this suffering as difficult and as excruciating as as it was that the suffering was light and momentary compared to the weight of glory that yes. awaits us yeah. and so Paul uses the resurrection. Our resurrection, Jesus' resurrection, but then our resurrection, he uses that as a real motivation right. and a real assurance. And is saying these things, you can bank on this as certain as you are of Jesus' resurrection, you can be certain of your own. That's 1 Corinthians 15. Mm. And there's to be a hope in that for us that we look forward and say, um, you know, uh, that there's no assurance that our affliction is going to end in this life. We may die, but there are, but there is the promise of resurrection. And yeah. I'd say the other thing is there, there's, there's the promise of help here. There's the promise yeah. of the Holy Spirit. There's the promise of scripture, which strengthens us. There's the promise of God's people. We don't have to endure this, uh, alone. Um, you know, but we can, we can bear one another's, um, yeah. burdens, um, and, and, you know, I think those are all things that help us along the way. And to the person who is, you know, uh, walks away from the faith because of suffering, you know, there could be a number of reasons for that. I think I would do the very thing we're talking about here. I would appeal to them that there's no promise that it, we can't tell anybody. We can pray. Yeah. We can bear your burden. We can mm -hmm. walk with you. We can listen. We can practically serve you and help. Yeah. We want to do all of those things. But one thing we cannot do is promise you that this particular affliction will end in this life. We cannot promise your spouse will not leave. We cannot yeah. promise there will be healing for your cancer. We cannot promise you will have all your financial uh, well, we can help you financially, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Maybe that's not the best illustration, but those other two, we can't guarantee that. Yeah. Um, we can't guarantee you'll eat. We'll provide food for you. You know, we can't say that, but, uh, yeah. but ultimately I think we, we can't say those won't happen, but we can say that God is good. Mm. And we look to the cross and see his goodness to us and his faithfulness. And that one day the resurrection uh -huh. will and bring us to the new heavens and the new earth, which will be so incomparably great that there's, I mean, I don't say this ca uh, cavalierly to someone suffering, but Paul's words are, this is light and momentary compared to that. And we need to be right. careful how we share that with someone right. because it does, sure doesn't feel light and momentary. Right. Yeah. And his language there being, and it is achieving. I mean, there's, some, there's something happening, yes. actively yes. happening when we are undergoing suffering and putting our faith in Christ through our suffering even with all our questions, even when it doesn't make any sense yep. at all, there is actively something happening. It's achieving something for yeah. us that far outweighs them all is what the, the, that language. Yeah. That's just fascinating to me. Yeah, it sure that's is. good. Yeah. It's encouraging. Cool. You guys have any last thoughts on that? No, I don't think I, I just, just one, just one thing I wanted to say earlier. It, yeah. It's just this whole idea that God, uh, God can will something and, uh, and not delight in it at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important to note. Mm -hmm. That God allows something, that he wills something, is not synonymous with he takes 
pleasure. Uh, delight or right. joy, yeah. joy or pleasure in that sense of, of willing something. He yeah. can will and allow something and hate it at the exact same yeah. time. Mm. And so I just think it's important to to know, especially when we look out at evil at, at the world and, and disease and, and other things like that, that... Um, that we're, we're, we're just careful there. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, a good example of that is Jesus and Lazarus. I mean, yeah. he, did he, yeah. did Jesus not will that Lazarus would yeah, die right. so that right. he could show his glory and, and raise yeah. him yet? Jesus mourns. Yeah. Jesus. Did he not stop and enter into the human experience yeah. and weep? Yeah. Right. Exactly. There. Yeah. So, that, so that everybody could see him weep and yeah. then talk about it afterwards. Yeah. yeah that was Absolutely. a good distinction that right. you, that you gave for us sure. there, Rob. So cool. Well, thank you so much guys. Thank you for taking the time out of your evening. Rob, thank you for joining us. Yes, Absolutely. Thank you, Rob. It was Always. great having you. So, sure um, we'll have to talk about Star Wars. Let's some go get some ice cream. Yeah. We, we, Let's go when are we going to talk about Star Wars? We're going to talk about Star Wars sometime. Our hobbits or something. We'll wait till Craig's. I'm sick. I won't be there. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I'm feeling sick already. We need a whole uh, podcast on Star Wars. I know it's because Craig uh, he knows it's going to be a while before he gets Star to sit down Wars. and watch his Star Wars movies. That's why yeah. Craig is feeling sick. So, oh, anyways, man. all right, well, well, there, we'll there, s- there must be one adult <laughs> at the table. So. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, uh, we're going to cut Rob loose, and then uh, yeah, we'll see you guys again in part two. Uh, we're going to Craig and I will tackle some more questions on this topic. So we'll talk to you then. Thanks. Bye bye.